Welcome to Power Your Profits podcast, your friendly guide in bringing your business revenue to the next level. Listen as host Susie Carter hears inspiring stories of success from her fellow entrepreneurs and transformational leaders. Prepare to make significant change to your strategies as they unravel the secrets of building multi-million dollar businesses and the most effective tips on finance, marketing, and sales accountability. If you want to make your first step towards explosive business growth, this is the right podcast for you. Without further ado, here is your host, Susie. Welcome to Power Your Profits Podcast. I am your host, Susie Carter, and I'm excited to share with you my friend, Hannah Chapman. She's the CEO and founder of X Squared Wealth Planning, where she empowers visionary entrepreneurs to stop worrying about money, take charge of their income, build their business and their financial legacy with ease and joy. Please welcome to the show, Hannah. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. I am so excited because your industry kind of has a bad rap. I'm just going to be honest. Like I remember meeting with Planner and I said, well, what's your net worth? Well, what's your strategy? Well, how much do you have in your portfolio? She gets so mad at me. And I'm like, wait, isn't this your job? Shouldn't you just be able to tell me? She would not tell me. So I did not use her, obviously. And what I love is that you help entrepreneur women live their dreams. So tell me who you serve. And what you're most passionate about, like what's your niche, what's your strategy? So tell me about that. Oh, it's so juicy. Thank you for having me on, Susie. This is such an important conversation to have because of exactly what you just said. My (laughs) industry, my poor industry, right, (laughs) has such a bad rap because there's so much not listening going on from the advisor side of the table. And when I step in to work with my clients, that's the thing that's different. And I work with entrepreneurs. So the way I like to describe them the most is that they are visionary entrepreneurs that want to make a dent in the universe, that they are here to change something. And every single one of them is a little bit different. And when I can help these visionary entrepreneurs build more wealth, more quickly, more efficiently, with more joy and ease, they turn around and they spread that so much farther because they have this piece of them that they want to pour out of, right? And I'll give you an example because I think this illustrates the point so perfectly. Have a client who... She is a consultant. She's a DEI consultant, such a beautiful human. She works to really take research in universities and like scientific research and make that a safe space for women of color and people of color. And she's doing beautiful work in the world. And when we did her financial plan to see how she could build her wealth, when we got to the part where she could see what it was going to look like down the road, she told me how much she wanted to help, that she wanted to create this you know, generational wealth for her family and create a space in the world where she could help other children and help lift up other people of color. And I'm like, goosebumps, right. just goosebumps, right? Like when my clients see how, what they're doing now, and when we make those, you know, adjustments, 
to how they're working in their business, how they're building their wealth. They're just little adjustments, truly, that when you expand them over time, it turns into millions upon millions of dollars. And when you have someone who says, who sees those millions of dollars and says, oh my gosh, I can create, I can build the foundation. I can create that, you know, housing for the homeless. I can feed so many children that just, my heart, it just like explodes open and it's like, let's do it. Let's create that because you are going to like, you already are, but you're going to do even more. You know, I started helping women a little more selfishly because I was on a couchette in Italy, journal writing, like (laughs) I want to travel with my girlfriend. (laughs) And then my next thing was, I need girlfriends that need money. So I'm like, I don't know, women make their own money. So (laughs) I love that we're the girl gang together and we can make this happen, right? I, when I was young, I want to find someone like you because women weren't really, no, I'm a little seasoned, Hannah, just a little more seasoned than you. (laughs) Right. There wasn't a lot of women in that industry. And I found Suzanne Latour, who was just a straight shooter with me, like, girl, you gotta stop spending your money. You don't need another pair of shoes. Like, oh, I would have never taken that from a man. But a woman, <laughs> you don't need another pair of shoes. You don't need another bag. I want you to put that money away. Let's watch that grow. Like just that tough love of tell me like it is. Where if a man told me that, I would have been insulted and like, oh, how dare he? Like she right. was like, just call me on my crap, which I love. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And I mean, you, make, you make a point. I mean, even still 18%, 18 to 20% of the industry is women in the financial advice industry. So we are still a very small percentage. And during COVID, I want to say, I heard something around 30% or so of yeah. women stepped back from the financial advisory space. And so, I mean, like we shrank Yeah, from, from COVID because of all of the pressures that we live day to day, all of us, you know, women entrepreneurs who we are still primary caregivers and primary now like school facilitators and, you know, all of the things, right. That we had to be during COVID. And how did you get into financial planning? Cause it isn't traditionally like, it's interesting. My daughter's in that field, right? Not financial planning. She's an equity investor. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's because mom was like, where's the money? Where's the money? If I learned anything, let's find, let's follow the money. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, so what's interesting is that when I was little, I was obsessed with counting money. So like we had those, you know, like the big, like five gallon jug jug, and we would have fill it full of coins. I was the one, I was probably like six or seven. I would dump the whole thing out and like spend a whole weekend rolling coins and counting money. You know, like it was just, I was slightly obsessed. I thought it would be so much fun to work at a bank, right? Like that would be like my dream job. Like, so yeah, like you get banker's hours, you get week, you know, special days off, you get to count people's money. Like, yeah, seven-year-old Hannah thought that would be great. So fast forward, I graduated from college with a flute performance degree. So I have this, all this creative energy and also like the math side of my brain is still like, I'm still loving uh, counting money. And I started working at a local bank and, you know, that was really it. That was my first full-time job out of college. And I loved working with the business owners that would come in and just talk and we, mm-hmm. they bring their drops and we count all their money and we do all their deposits and they tell us how their business was going. And, and I loved it. I loved it. Um, and from there, it was actually a leap into from banking to financial services, you know, like financial planning side, because my husband got into grad school in a different 
part of the country. So I'm like, okay, well, we're going to go, we're going to go to grad. He's going to go to grad school. I'll work and I'll get another job at a bank. I applied at like 20 different banks and no one would even call me back. But Mm -hmm. because of my experience while I was in college, I was a flute performance major, but what I really did was I built a flute studio. So I taught private flute lessons and I built the largest flute studio in the city outside of, you know, the college campus. And so, you know, like I did that and it was that entrepreneurial spirit and love counting money. (laughs) I love counting money. I built a business. Right. And so I actually, I applied to work at a big broker dealer I was like, well, maybe I could do this job instead, like be a financial right. financial advisor. They hired me immediately because of my banking and studio oh, building experience. Yeah, right. I um, love that. Yeah. So it was really interesting. I was like, well, look at what that did. So, you know, I got fully licensed, series seven, 66, all the all the stuff that you have to do in order to be in financial services. And I did not make it through my first 12 weeks. It was actually a terrifying experience. <laughs> Um, Why was uh, it terrifying? Just oh my gosh! <laughs> just the yeah. te- look. I'm like, I have chest anxiety just thinking about it. <laughs> it was well, yes, it was the hardest thing I ever did in my whole life. Like, mm-hmm. I will be fully honest. Going into like moving across the country, being in a fully new city, I had to get five clients in order to stay in that role in 12 mm-hmm. weeks. So I busted my ass so hard. Like I, everyone, you know, look again, entrepreneurship. Yes. Clients are being handed to you. Like, oh, that is awesome. You got to get five. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, it was, there's a whole lot of sales PTSD actually from that time. (laughs) And I didn't end up with enough clients to keep moving forward. And so that was one of the first, one of my first, entrepreneurial failures. Yeah. Um, it felt like a big one. Like yeah. I was crushed. Well, you're letting yourself down. You're letting your husband down. You're supposed to be the breadwinner when he goes oh. to school, like so much pressure. Yeah. It was a lot. And I'm laughing with you, not laughing at you. I'm just saying. I, no, it's true. Like, yeah, absolutely. And because, I mean, I was so driven, I was fully licensed and I was like, okay, I just need, you know, something has to work out here. So I got picked up as a paraplanner for a large practice in the area. And that turned into my professional home for the next 13 years. And what that did, it was actually the blessing in disguise that I needed because I, instead of like building from scratch and working with just whoever I could get at the very beginning, I started doing financial planning for like executives at Procter and Gamble, like from the get go. So I got to cut my teeth on just all of these super complicated situations, people who had stock options and restricted stock units and business owners who had, you know, thriving businesses and teachers and firefighters and lawyers. And I just had this huge, you know, array of experience working there doing the comprehensive financial planning work. So before I ever stepped into a client meeting of my own where I was the advisor, I had a decade of experience. Right. Not just doing the planning, but what's hilarious is that when someone else does all of your financial planning, I was doing all the work and handing it to the advisors who were presenting it to their clients. And then they would call me and they'd be like, Hannah, I don't know how to, 
present this? <laughs> like, what does this mean? Can you talk to, can you call the client and tell them what this means? So I was also getting all that practice, literally like explaining, turning things into these big financial concepts, turning them into what can this client like understand? Right. So I was doing that in writing and then I was you know, talking through it with clients and building relationships before I was ever even an advisor. And when I became, well, when I got bored, I got bored, I got tired, right? I'm like a driven, I started when I was 23, early thirties. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty bored in my work along. And also there was a year where I would normally get like seven to 10% raises every year. Cause I kicked ass, right? I was like rockstar employee. And then one year I got like a 5% raise. And they were like, it's not because we didn't want to give you the bigger raise, but you're just kind of hitting the ceiling of what we want to pay for your position. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 right. no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. That's not where we stop. This is not, this is not where Hannah stops. And that was the next push to be like, okay, what's next? Where do I go from here? So why entrepreneurs versus like the bigger companies, Procter and Gamble's, the city the environment and because we're tough nuts. Like we're not, you know, we are a little resistant, like uh-huh. invest in myself. I got this bill to pay like, hold on. So why entrepreneurs? Because, oh, for so many reasons. First of all, my parents were entrepreneurs, not just my parents, my aunts, uncles, grandparents on both sides, my brothers, like my entire family is self-employed. And most of my life, especially like young growing up, I just thought they were too stubborn and like couldn't get along with others and like does not play well with others. That is why you can't be an employee. And I thought maybe it was a character flaw. There's some truth to that though. Right? Yeah. Like there's a little spectrum. <laughs> and I actually was, I didn't realize that that was my tie because when I started working with business owners, at my old firm, I was noticing the other advisors would, okay, how much money are you taking from your business? How much are you making? All right, well, we'll plan from that. And so we'd create this whole like financial plan based on what income they were taking from their business. And then when anything went wrong in the business immediately, right? They're like, nope, we can't do that. And also we're going to take everything out because we have to fix. And so when it would come to it, when I would come into the situation and start to dig into why, okay, what's going wrong? It's always an issue. We're putting this wall up, right? Right. And I'm just going to tell you what's over here so you can plan for it. And I'm not going to tell you what's going on on this side. Right. And so when I came in and was able to like get them to soften and open and tell me what's going on, like when we can look at the business and how it relates suddenly things change. Like they're able to make different choices. It's a lot of what you do as well. It's right. It's like teaching people how to create a profitable business, because once you can create a profitable business, then you can get the profit out and build your wealth. But if all you're doing is just looking at that side and you're not building the relationship so that that entrepreneur trusts that you have their best interest in mind all the time. Like we're not a particularly trusting bunch, right? right? And, you know, like there's a lot, like everyone wants to sell to us. Everyone wants, you know, something, that's what it feels like. Someone always wants something from you. So to be in the seat that says, 
No, we are here. I am here on your team to build your business with you. And that is how, that is how you succeed. Suddenly we're able to have the conversations that, you know, that they can understand how to, how to. Yeah. We're usually just give you a budget. I've got this much that I'm going to allocate to that. It's like, well, is that right? Should we be doing something else? And again, you're an anomaly. You're a unicorn. I just want to say that out loud. (laughs) And when I say, you know, like you want to understand the whole, the piece, right? That's Mm -hmm. the man I worked with is there's the whole piece. And it's like, Susie, don't take more money. Let's, let's put in an executive bonus plan. Don't, you don't need more money. You've got plenty of money. Let's, let's do other things with it to grow that money systemically. It's like, oh, okay. Versus, you know, just educating me. Like when I first started working with him, I had to open my eyes really big. Like that was going to make me (laughs) more. He would talk about, I don't know what you mean. And so I think when you grow up with entrepreneurs, you know how to take complicated issues and simplify them. Because financial and wealth strategy can be complicated. It doesn't have to be hard. It has to be strategic, but we have to get it as entrepreneurs. Yeah. So much emotion that goes into it. So let's talk about that because you work on that as well. Yeah. The emotional financial ties and decision-making processes. So how do you help us? I'm saying us because I still have it too, right? It's like security, security. I don't want want it liquid. (laughs) Yes. That's the crux. That is where the breakdown happens for most people is that, you know, you can create the most beautiful financial plan. I can give you all of these recommendations. Here's the charts. Look how they go up. That's what you want. Right. That's so nice. Here are, you know, the five recommendations and, you know, save this much to this kind of account, blah, blah, blah. Right. You can write all of that out and if you don't work with that entrepreneur to actually figure out how they make decisions and what emotional roadblocks are going to come up along the way, they will never be able to implement that plan or they will start to implement it. And when things, you know, when a fire starts, yeah, they'll pull it right back out. (laughs) And I know because I experienced it, I experienced it with my clients, you know, over the last, like, yeah, so many years. And I, and it took me a while. It took me a while to figure that out. Because our process was you meet with people once every six months. Right. Well, you're the first to go, right? And which is me, which is bizarre. So even now, like I'll go, okay, wait, I need to put that on hold because I don't know what's happening. Like when COVID hit, stop everything. I don't know what's happening. Right. And then I had to make up for that when I stopped everything to go, well, I got to make up for this because this is the plan, you know, which is just crazy making for myself. And he told me that, but I'm like, "Ah, I just need that security. Right. So it's understanding there is, you know, especially for entrepreneurs, because we don't know, we know, but we don't know. Right. It's that predictable Mm -hmm. predictability, if you will, inside of that. So what are the things we should be doing as entrepreneurs? Like, what are your must when you go, okay, when I work on an entrepreneur to build your wealth, you must. Yeah. For me, we start with two things. The very first piece that most of my clients come to me for is because they're on the back foot with taxes. Like they're constantly like freaked out about what their tax bill is going to be. And they, this is seriously almost every single client I have, they used everything they had to pay their tax bill last year. And they're like scrambling, right? Or they extended all the way to October so that they could pay that last tax bill. And now they have to scramble for the next year. And they can't ever seem to get out of the loop 
of, you know, to where they're on the front side, prepared, right. prepared. Right. And that is the two pieces that go with that really, from my perspective are, you know, creating a system mm-hmm. for your income where you are consistently saving towards your taxes, mm-hmm. right? So you're, you're funding it throughout the year. You get on the front side so that a lot of times it's that first year we work together is just getting on the front side. And then we can implement the system of, you know, whatever the percentage is, 8%, 10%, 15%, whatever's right for that person that we're going to shave off every single time you get paid. We're going to shave it off and put it away. That is not your savings account. That is a tax account. (laughs) And there are lots of different ways. That's not a recommendation for anyone in particular. There are lots of ways to handle taxes for a solopreneur who has, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars of revenue up to a million of revenue. Like a lot of times that's the first step is we carve it off systematically. The second piece is really creating the business cash reserve. And this is the place where you create your own safety. You create your own inner safety in your business because if something happens, if COVID happens again, if you get uh, you know, an illness that takes you out for a while, if you have some sort of you know overnight competitor comes and like things change, right? If you have to pivot your business, that business cash reserve will give you the buffer of time. It gives you time to pivot your business, to figure out your next step so that you can, you know, move from a place of power and decision rather than from reaction. Mm -hmm. And when I start with my clients, you know, we take it in stages, get it up to three months. What are, what are your regular expenses that you would have to pay to keep your business going? Let's get it up to three months and then six months and then nine months. And we don't, that doesn't mean you're going to have like millions of dollars sitting in cash, Mm -hmm. but it does mean we're going to have like a war chest set aside in some way, shape or form that you can get to so that you have that safety while Mm -hmm. you're still funding your business while you're still growing, right? We figure out how you do all of those things at the same time. Right. And again, it doesn't have to be hard, right? Because we're entrepreneurs. What I love is I write my own paycheck. When I don't have a paycheck is because I didn't write it this month, meaning I got distracted by the non-essential things that are bringing me revenue. Again, what you're saying, I've been using in my business for years, like it works for my peace of mind, right? So when COVID did hit, even though I freaked out, I didn't have to freak out, right? That was just human response of what's happening. And let me, uh, how right. long How long is this going to last? That was really the, you know, we did not intend it to last this long, but. Right. It'll be done in three weeks. Right. <laughs> Having exactly what you said, those two systems in place. And I've not been in the tax situation. Thank God, knock on wood, you know, because I <laughs> learned early on, right? I yeah. learned early on, you, like right. pay them first, right? Pay yes. yourself, pay the taxes, make sure you do that first. So let's shift just a little bit. I talked about your failure, like what your one, your biggest failure was. Is is there any other one that's been a big life lesson around building your wealth that you'd like to go back and go, oh, I should have, could have, would have. Yeah. Two pieces to that. It hurts like hell when you're going through it. Right. (laughs) And when you look back on it, it couldn't have been any other way. Right. And so for me, the second piece was the first big failure was not getting to be, you know, to stay as an advisor in my first 12 weeks and having to move to a support role. 
The second big failure for me was when I became a client-facing advisor, I was supposed to take over, be the successor for an advisor who was in his 70s, was supposed to have retired. We all know these people. They will not retire, (laughs) right? It gets to be too easy, right? And it is really easy when you just go, you just put it on the cycle and, and then those clients really aren't getting what they need. When I started asking questions, those questions being, I was an advisor, I was getting new clients in the door. I was also supposed to be, you know, receiving clients from this other advisor. And I didn't have any clarity around when I would be able to buy my book of business. I didn't have any clarity around when I would be, you know, able to start, you know, really growing and benefiting from the work that I was doing. You know, I was being paid I don't know, $75,000 or so. And the book that I was working was bringing in $500,000, dollars of revenue. And I started right. saying, what's going on? Like right. I'm working so hard. I feel like I'm not really benefiting from it, you know? And so I started asking these questions and feeling, you know, ultimately starting to feel resentful. And that turned into the partners and the team, like thinking that I was not going to be successful in this role. Right and telling me so to my face. (laughs) And there was, you know, I knew that wasn't right. I'm like, I am good at this job. I am really good at what I do. And I think it's just not here. Yeah. It's just not here. And there were a lot of tears. That dream that I had cultivated of like building, helping build that business, like being, you know, part of this team and making, you know, $500,000 a year there, you know, that was like, oh yeah, I can do that. It's going to be so great. I get to be surrounded by these people. And that was a big vision. I thought I needed their support. I was scared because of my first experience. I was scared. And At the same time, like knowing that they did not believe in me the way that I believed in me, my higher self was like, this is not your place, right? not where you grow. And it felt, honestly, it felt like a failure. It was like, it ripped me apart. You know, it ripped me apart until I was broken down enough to realize that this is it. I have to shift. Right. We call that the cosmic boot. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. And the Brene universe smacks you upside the head and goes, "That's not it." And you, this you, is not you. It was Brene. It was part, a down. You can only have a pity party for so long because you got to get back to work, right? So right. <laughs> there's like a time limit. Okay, my pity party's over. I just pull out my big girl panties. Let me do it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I was going. I was like, I was still trying to build this through this whole time, but it was running. And listening to Dare to Lead uh, by Brene Brown, there was a moment, I have listened to this book probably five times, but there was this moment in that book, I was, I can see myself where I was running, where I like broke down into tears, where she says, you know, there's a section in the book that talks about you either believe, there are two kinds of people, people that believe that you're doing the best, that that everyone is doing the best that they can, and people that don't. Right. And those that believe that everyone is just doing the best that they can are happier and more fulfilled and more successful on the whole. I was like, I was mad. I was really mad at that (laughs) point. And I was like, no, they're not doing the best that they can. They're not listening to me. They're not taking me seriously. They're not all of this, you know, victim, 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 victim. And when I heard it again, that time, 
I just broke down into tears because I realized they are doing the best that they can Mm -hmm. and I don't fit there. Right. And I think that's where you talk about lighting up your desire and then the gap and navigating between the two, correct? Yes. Right. Yeah. And so, so you're still young, right? And you're not ready to retire. Right? Oh, no. Yeah. That'll, that'll be a long time. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so 30. What, what's been your biggest strategy for yourself and your family right now? Right now, my biggest wealth strategy is building my business. And so I am in that place myself, right? Where building my revenue is my wealth strategy. So, you know, there is a lot. I do it too, you know, putting the money back in the business, right? I do, I pay myself, I pay my taxes, I put money in my profit account. And then we we're saving a little bit what we can to retirement, but a lot of it is going back into the business right now with the beautiful result already of being, you know, I think I'm on track for 250 this year, just in my one business, 250,000 of revenue. And I just opened another arm of my business for coaching and consulting. That will be a fully different revenue stream and building recurring revenue. That's one of the gifts of what I do. And, And the way that I do it is that I can build these, this recurring revenue stream. That's every single month. And so that is really a beautiful gift. So that's, I am in building phase myself and I love it. And I'm also excited for, you know, my own ability to make those big retirement deposits, right. And be like, oh yes, we've got the executive comp in place and we can make those big transfers each year. And I can, you know, pay my employees like abundantly and do big profit sharing and do profit sharing contributions and things like that. So that's, I'm right there with you. Oh my <laughs> Everyone, <gosh. listening. laughs> she walks her talk. You guys, she I walks do. her talk. That's awesome. Well, I do. I, I love, love, love my them. taxes. Yeah, <laughs> you pay the taxes. My first wealth strategy is my business. Right, my business spends off cash. The cash that I can invest in real estate, I can invest in other businesses, my wow. community, my family, myself. Right, so it's a smart strategy. You're not going to get rich on a salary. Right, W two income. Right. We're not going to build your wealth. Could you be comfortable? Sure. Like, could you have some measly social security? Sure. Right. Right. But as an entrepreneur, we pay into that anyway. So we'll get that anyways as an entrepreneur, but let's plan bigger, right? That's my goal is how do we play bigger? How do we plan bigger? And how do we find people that talk our language? Like if you hear the language that Hannah's talking about, you know, really looking at from a multicultural community, from a spiritual-based philosophy, from putting your family first, to taking risks, to walking the talk, that that all speaks loudly, right? That stuff that you weren't even saying that you were saying speaks loudly of your character and who you are. So how can we play with you? How can people find you and help you help themselves to figure out their own gap? To, no matter how old you are, look, we're entrepreneurs. It doesn't matter how old we are. You, it's never too late to start, right? It's never too late to get back on that horse. Whatever economic challenges we've had in the past, we've all had them. To go get back on the horse, find the right coach, the right advisor, right? It takes a group of people to help you build your wealth. So how do we find you? What can you share with us? How do we schedule time with you? They just want to eat you up. (laughs) Yes. I, so I have two different ways really to help people right now. And one is you know, in my container of being an entrepreneurial wealth coach and financial advisor together. 
And that really is where we build that comprehensive plan that's just for you. And then we walk through it together. And that is through, you can go to my website, x the number two wealthplanning.com. And there's a contact link right there. You can email me, you can sign up. I have a beautiful PDF that I love that I have my clients do. I call it my light up your desires journaling prompts. And literally my clients do this when they come in because I want to know what they want. Right. We have to know what you desire first before we can ever point our wealth building in that direction. Yes. So the journaling prompts are free. I send them out and you you get to really like play around with what it is you want for all these different areas of your life. And the new side of my business is called Expansive CEO and it's expansiveceo.com. And through that arm of my business, I'm doing a mastermind community that I'm so excited about and a workshop, a one-time workshop. Well, it's a live workshop is what I'm trying to say. A live interactive workshop where we go through the pieces of discovering what you want, aligning your money, your time, and your energy towards what you want. And then what happens when you expand? What shit is going to break? When right. you start expanding, <laughs> what do you need to watch out for? Or what are you already experiencing as you expand that you can figure out how to fix and hold, hold that expansion? So it's the called the art of having it all workshop. Love it. Yeah. And so those pieces will be available on expansiveceo.com. Expansive. Okay. Yeah. Not expensive. <laughs> expansive CEO. Okay, great. Hannah, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for being a powerful woman in the world, leading the charge, making the way. We appreciate what you do. We look forward to playing again. Thank you, Susie. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Power Your Profits podcast. Let these building blocks from today's most successful industry leaders equip you with the necessary resources and tools to finally establish the highly profitable business of your dreams. Want to hear more? Listen to more episodes at https colon double slash poweryourprofitspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. Now is your time to rise to the top of your game. So be sure to catch our next episode. Until next time.